0: Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel, and welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change, leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, we're going to talk about operationalizing your data pipelines. Sarah, welcome. Hey, Darren, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Hey, we're finally finishing up this series. It's been a great series talking to you about the data-centric organization. We've had a lot of great debates, you and I, trying to figure things out. Um, Now we're going to talk about something that's more of my wheelhouse, operationalizing things, right? This is where IT gets to step up and do something fun, right?
1: It definitely is, yeah. (laughs) You get into the messy part of this. That's a good way to put it. We talked about the data part, which is messy. Now we're let's talk about the actual implementation and operationalizing it, and well, talk and, about how messy this can be.
0: Yeah, the whole key to this, from my perspective, is how do we turn it from a science experiment from happening once to turning the crank? So now, hey, I I've got this. I can I can um, do more models faster, or I can take a model I've already used and turn it every single day to get more information out of it. That's where we right. want to get to, right?
1: Right. We definitely want to do that. All right. So let's talk about operationalizing and let's go back to kind of the first um, podcast that we did. We talked about kind of comparing an analytic system to a electrical system. And just to kind of recap on this, we think about an electrical system. As long as you have the, the power source, um, a way for the electrons in the, uh, to move around and the light bulb. You basically can set that up, you know, walk away six months later and be able to flick the lit, um, the, the light on and know that it's gonna work. Um, it's, a, it's an enclosed system. With an analytic system, you don't have that luxury. You don't know that you're gonna be able to turn on the lights um, you know, flip a switch and be able to have the lights working, um, you know, six months down the line, even, you know, maybe the next day. Uh, because essentially you have to think about it. There's a lot of things that can go wrong in your data pipeline of taking your data and, and, and being able to feed it through your system, to, you know, so that you can get some insights and that's the light. Um, Some of the things that can happen are kind of, you know, your data can change, the data quality, something degrades in there. Um, And these are all the things that have to be thought of when you're, you know, planning out your deployment. What can go wrong in the system? And what checks can you put in just to be able to say, ooh, I got a short circuit, how do I correct
0: this? This sounds very much like what we talk about in computer science about defensive programming. You can't be guaranteed that the input is always going to be good input, right? right. Um, you have to you have to write your code, or you so same thing with data. It sounds like there's a lot of variability in in data that could be coming in, so you have to be able to have your data pipeline set up to handle um, any variation in data that you might get.
1: Right, right, precisely. And you're actually hearing a lot of different scenarios just within this whole COVID, you know, from, you know, Fev- going from February where everything was kind of the norm, going into, you know, end of March, you see a lot of these systems starting to break down um, because the dynamics of, of the patterns that, um, that were considered norm, changed because of what was happening with COVID. So, um, you know, not that you would ever be able to predict that COVID was coming (laughs) around, Um, you know, there's always the black swan type events that you'll never be able to have. But I mean, it's something that you should, you know, be thinking about in here, like what could happen, it could be a very low probability, um, that could happen that could break this. And and how do we, how do we, you know, be able to flag that before, you know, you get really bizarre results. So
0: So. it's important to be able to at least detect them, right?
1: You want to be able to detect it. Detect some
0: abnormalities in your your results or whatever, right? Because you can't, like you just said, you can't plan for everything, but you need to be able to at least detect when something has happened that is outside the bounds of your original um, analytics, right?
1: Right, that's gotcha. that's correct, right. So just think about, you know, at our, our example where we were saying, how many widgets do we need to produce? You know, we had the customer demand, we had the supply, uh, you know, the current supply, and then also yield loss. You know, how stable are those over time? And what could possibly, you know, just, you know, the customer um, demand, right there. Um, what could happen? You know, could there be something where there's a PR um, type of event that basically either you know exploded the demand or you know degraded the d- demand? You know, how something like that could you know have a big impact on your models um, that you know you want to be able to. Hey, when is the, you know is this starting to is, are these trends starting to look different from what we've had before? Because one of the things you have to realize is all what machine learning and deep learning are is looking at patterns that we've seen before. If the machine, if these models or machine learning models um, have never seen those patterns before, they're never gonna work. It's, they're gonna start failing or degrading. And you're gonna to need to go and figure out, okay, what happened why is this happening what patterns you know are we now seeing that we haven't seen before so you always have to be on that on that edge of discovery
0: you
1: know, of of discovery
0: yeah so th- this is an interesting point because i can only be on that edge of discovery all the time if i have my data pipelines automated because you don't right you've got to be able to run them periodically and, and automatically, right, without having to go, oh, I think there might be a change. Now I've got to go and hand, do things. That just takes too long, right? You're going to miss uh, the events, right, that, that are right. changing.
1: Yes. Yes. So you want to, and that's the, the competitive advantage of, of you know, having, machine, having data analytics or machine learning or deep learning um, capabilities is you want to be able to, you know, with a snap of a button, be able to be able to pull the, you know, the most current data and seeing how how that data is giving you some kind of insights. Are you seeing the same patterns? Or are you not seeing the same patterns? Are they predicting what are what is it um, predicting? Um, the more that you can do that and be able to answer, que- you know, the questions you want, the, the better you're going to have. So it's really important that you are able to streamline that. The, the fewer humans in that loop will, uh, ana- will enable you to um, move through, those, through that and get that information much quicker.
0: So we've, we talked a lot about the insight, the analytics and all that stuff. So I love how we're talking about the automation side of things. This is where your IT team really needs to sit down with your data team and talk about what can be automated, what should be automated, and not just on the data that's coming in, but also managing any changes to the model that the data scientists want to make so that it can be easily integrated back into the workflows that are going on. And you kind of broke this down into like two different types of controls. Right. right.
1: So I call them the deployment um, short circuits. And there's two cat- categories on that. There's the analytic system controls. So the systems that you're going to automatically, you know, you're going to build in uh, through your DevOps. All right. And then the other part of it is is really an, is organizational controls. This is kind of more the people part of it. Um uh, a part of it. So I'll I'll talk about um, both um, parts on here. The analytic um, system controls are really about you know how can you package up you know the models um, that you've trained and then put them in and and so that essentially you're able to answer the questions you want um, easily. So you're taking a model and actually putting it in and feeding data through it. Um, as needed uh, but there's also some other things too that, that have to go around um, this deployed model which is also monitoring and you're looking at how to check for accuracy of that data have any of the environmental changes occurred is it you know, is the quality of the data change for some reason? Maybe, you know, you're just hooked up a new machine that hasn't been calibrated um, properly. So now that's gonna, you know, potentially be giving you, um, you know, wrong information um, and the model can't handle that. Maybe just something happened in the distribution of that data as well. So maybe as you're making widgets, some raw material came through that has a little bit of, it might be within, you know, like specification, but the model can sense that, you know, there's been a change in, in this raw material that it, it could cause, um, you know, some changes with, within that, with, within the, that what the yield pr- um, prediction is, or maybe it won't you know, predict that it, there's going to be a yield problem. Um, it depends on how sensitive your, your model is.
0: So th- this, ways- this really sounds a lot like what we run into in the software development world, where changes can adversely affect where things that we didn't predict happen. So we, we actually come up with regression tests and, right. and golden data that we use over and over again to make sure that our models or our applications are working under, under the um, uh, guidelines that we established, right? So it right. sounds like you need the same thing for your data analytics as well. You need to yes. have test suites. You need to have... So that sounds very sim- similar.
1: Yes. Yes, definitely. All that stuff. Um, and that's all the stuff. I'm, I'm so glad you know, to hear that that capabilities within, you know, the IT department, because this is the stuff that we're really like, when, when I was working in this area, I was like, Oh, my, my head would explode because what are all these things and and so forth? Well, the good Um, thing is,
0: is you could take advantage of your IT organization. They do this every day. Right. right. (laughs) So this, this is, this goes back to our our great conversation when we first started. IT is a black box. There's like one guy that works in there. Right. And I'm like, well, data scientists, it's, just one person playing around with numbers. So what, you know, but now we we've learned, right. Um, we need each other to, to really, you need IT's help to operationalize all the great work that you're doing monitoring um, automated test suite running all, all, all those analytics system controls that, that you're talking about, believe it or not, there's a whole slew of tools out there that uh, we can use already uh, in the IT toolbox. So that's good news.
1: Yeah, it is. You're really not, you know, needing to invent any new process. It's existing. You just have to figure out how to blend the processes together so that, you know, it it becomes something working, you know, getting the two groups together, the DevOps and the data scientists together so that they're setting themselves up for success.
0: Sounds like data DevOps needs to be created.
1: Right. right, There you go.
0: All right. Let's talk about the organizational because I think I can handle the analytics controls. My team's going to step up and help you out, right? right, from the IT side. What about the organizational controls?
1: So the organizational controls is really around trust. And if you can remember back when I talked about the organization foundation and making sure that, you know, you're bringing in a diverse team of people, um, you know, your subject matter experts, your, your management or your line of business, you want them to. I talked about having them in um, part of the process at the beginning, and a lot of that is just on the trust. They need to be able to trust that you have the right data. That you know they understand kind of how um, these models were created, what what the what they can do and what they can't do with this data. All right, um, so. You know when you go into deployment you have to also make sure that you know they continue to trust um, and they feel empowered um, to provide um, provide feedback um, of whatever they're seeing because they essentially need to be able to own this as much as the data scientists are and the devops um, people because if they don't trust it this just becomes an academic exercise and you know all this work is just gonna just you know not be be utilized so So this
0: this comes back into our our business process thing where you have that feedback loop yes that's what you're talking about right where uh, the the users of the data are giving feedback in and, and providing maybe different parameters to the model and all that you need to build that process in it sounds like you can't just throw it over the wall here's your data
1: Precisely. Precisely. Okay. And there's a, there's a, you know, you know, and these are the subject matter experts too. So if they understand kind of the data that's going in and and so forth, they can also be the ones that say, Hey, there's a dynamic going on in in the markets or, you know, with their customers or, you know, whatever, like be cognizant of it. Oh, maybe we need to be monitoring it so they can help, you know, provide um, checks on the monitoring, um, give, you know, it's really about giving feedback of what could be changing, how are they using it, and, you know, what what could be, you know, improved. And again, this is something that isn't, you know, you're gonna take this model and and implement it, and then it'll it'll be there for the next, you know, 10 years. These things need to be iterated on and, and improved. So, you know, from, so it's really important to one, be able to get that trust, get the alignment and and have this, these feedback loops um, on here. The other aspect too is you also want to have, create a way where they can easily um, consume the information. You know, so if the model says, Hey, you know, we're gonna have this many. we need to meet this many widgets, um, and they want to understand, kind of like, hey, why is it so high or why is it so low? You want them to be able to, you know, have a dashboard that kind of tells them that information, but also be able to dig down into why something looks a little bit off. Um, so, so you know, it can't just some... be
0: a red light, green light thing. Oh, everything's right. green you need to be able to drill down and find out why you're on target or off target, right? So that's what you're talking about with the dashboard. Right. And and you don't really want the consumers of the data calling the data scientist anytime anything goes red, right?
1: Right, you want, you basically want to empower them with the information that they have. And then the more that they can dig into this, you know, it also feeds into the uh, feedback loop. Hey, look, you know, we, we see this this information here doesn't seem to be reflective of what we think is really happening. Can we go investigate this? And, you know, the more that they can investigate or bring up um, what needs to be investigated, the more empowered your, your organization is going to be.
0: All right, let, let's talk a little bit about that. my side. Okay. I'm going be selfish now, right? So <laughs> yes, you I gave me really all these requirements, forward. Sarah, all tons of requirements on, hey, we need, we need continuous integration. We need monitoring. I need to be able to test and things like that. I think one of the key things that is going to help with operationalizing from uh, your data pipelines and things, use version control. Use yes. GitHub. It's a great tool or GitLab, whatever you want to do. But use a version control system, that's probably the number one thing I would suggest. Because I've already seen way too many people go out there and, oh, I made a change to my model. Can you grab my file from last week from my laptop? And yeah, it's a mess, right?
1: The the other thing too is there's one thing of having the model, but you also want to be storing the data
0: yeah, that you all,
1: that created that that model too, because if for some reason you know you can have a model, but if you don't have the data to understand kind of how, you know what the patterns, or maybe hey, I never thought that there's this this feature in here that is really important. How did that impact? You know, how would that change the model? Um, it's really important to have that for for audit purposes.
0: Well, that's a very good point, and. Believe it or not, you can store really large files into Git. Um, really, really large files into Git without a problem. I made the mistake personally. I just stored links into Git on where the files were. Yeah, and guess what? The files moved. <laughs> now they're not there anymore. You can't and can't imagine they,
1: that ever happening. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it happens all the time, right? <laughs> so
0: I, I love checking everything in together. And there's some great techniques out there. Uh, to do that you can even uh, do this with containers and things like that Um, you know go out and take a look out there Um, even on our podcast we talk a little bit about dev services take the same concepts with dev and work with dev uh, data data devops right i think that that will be a large benefit the other thing i can offer you is continuous integration and deployment so using a tool like jenkins or even github actions and things like that so when you work on a model and you check it in, it automatically kicks off running your test against uh, your, your model with your data in a test environment. Um, and you can even generate gobs of garbage data on the fly too. We can offer that to your data scientists as well. So I think that, that's you know, and one.
1: Yeah. You know, and, That's another good point too, you know, if you have this historical data, um, you can also plug it into your new models too to say, okay, how well does, you know, my really ancient data, um, you know, uh, impact my current data, Um, you know, because you really don't know if something's going to go back to what it might look like at one point, even though things have changed. So.
0: Yeah, because you don't want to abandon your legacy data, right? Right. Right, Because if you do, then your models are only as good as how old your data is, right? Right. Um, Which today would be, I think it'd be really fascinating. Looking at data today in post-COVID, or we're not even post-COVID, we're in COVID, right? COVID, yeah. Um, I think the data is going to be very different now than it was a year ago and what it will be a year from now. Um, Yeah. But I think it's all valuable data, but if I based all my models just off of what's going on this month, we're gonna have a very skewed picture of the world. Oh, everyone works from home, right? you know, crazy things like that. In fact, a a great case in point on this is um, in the uh, Department of Navy, they just had a a finding from their data that since COVID, 95% of their IT workers are working from home, remote work, right? Productivity has gone up 35%. One data point, from that one data point, I I would say everyone's going to work from home from now on. And will I continue to get a 35% increase? Or if people come back to the office, am I going to see a 35% decrease? So one data point, although it's a, a great soundbite, is not necessarily sufficient. So keeping right. that data around is gonna be important.
1: That is important. And you know, I always use this as an example. If you think about the 2008, 2009 economic, the great Re- uh, recession, you know, nobody ever really anticipated that the housing market would crash so much because pretty much, yeah, it, it never went down that much but there were other dynamic you know all the economic models never really had saw such a, a decline but because of the whole um you know the bad loans and and so forth that were all packaged um you started seeing things crumble that you never saw again i never saw before so you know there are things that could be completely stable or have a little bit of fluctuation but soon as they start you know fluctuating a, a bit or really degrading it can just totally blow your 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 models apart so, so those are other things to think about so even stuff that that seems stable and you've never looked at or you know basically throughout because eh, that's that's stable that's not a problem you know you want to make sure that there's some kind of of um confidence band around it that if, if it goes outside that, then you know you wanna be flagged about that.
0: So that's where monitoring, that's another thing I can bring to you is monitoring. Right. Um, I can actually monitor the output of your models for you automatically. And also, I want also wanna monitor how your models are performing in the infrastructure, right? Um, because I, I know this already, because I've seen this before. Sometimes your models run really fast. And sometimes they take days to run. And you're like, now why is that? Well, maybe we hit an edge condition in your data that made your model spin out of control. And we can, we can alert you from the IT department, right? With our automated uh, continuous integration deployment. We can alert you when something's taking longer than outside of the norm and notify you. And then now you can actually stop something from spiraling out of control because you already know the data the data is outside of the bounds or whatever it is so there's right. some other great things that it can bring to the table to help your, your data scientists
1: right so so you really do need sounds like you need to sit down you know with your it people and your data scientists and go okay here are all the variables or features that we're looking at and then trying to figure out okay how do we monitor each one of those, you know, at what point, you know, should we have a flag? And some of this can be subject, you know, subjective, and some of this could just be based on history, what you've seen in historically.
0: Right. Well, and ideally I should just give you the tools that enable you to do that easily. Right. Right. I mean, I want it to be as self-service as possible because I don't want the data scientists come into my org. There's a new area we want you to monitor. I should make that easy for you to say, hey, if this data goes outside these bounds, throw me a flag. I think that would be far better. That's why you really need an IT organization that's invested in the, in the whole data value creation, uh, which, uh, which I think we've been missing in the industry as a whole. Right.
1: And then the other aspect, too, that we could also think about is, you know, um, design some experiments, too, because, some you know, oh, interactions among among variables or features are really important, too. So you might have something that's stable, but you bring in something else, and then it either can go up or it can go down um, based on kind of what level of this other. Um, so the way that you kind of, you know, you have to th- think about this, and this is where the subject matter experts can come in. Um, and, and if you know kind of what these, these potential interactions are, um, or if you don't, you can do a design of experiment to kind of, you know, kind of be able to model that. Um, and that helps kind of um, understand kind of what variability is expected and what could also be causing some of that variability because they, these could be interactions among variables.
0: So what you're saying here is you need the ability to have several permutations of the same model, being able to, to compare and contrast. That's another great thing that I can, that you know IT can offer, right? If we can give you the ability to spin up and spin down these models quickly and automatically, then that would help quite a bit. Or to give, or possibly give you 10 different versions of the same model with different parameters run in it to test your design of experiments, right?
1: actually, as a data scientist, I can build all that into the model so that there it's you one part of the model and so forth. So, you, so instead of having multiple models, you can have, it's basically um, features within the models or you know, parameters within a model. So, that can, so yeah, I that can- See, I learn something new every that. day. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> Great. Sarah, this has been wonderful. It's been, what, did we do five or six podcasts together about, uh, this has been, it's opened my eyes to data science and and all all the things that you guys need. Um, I truly think IT can help you out.
1: Yeah, and I'm really excited about, you know, you know, talking about what data scientists can do for the organization. So let's, you know, what can we, how can we take this raw material that people are just having sitting around and so forth and turn it into insights? You know, it, it takes a team and, and as you, you know, as we've been talking about, you know, the more we can talk about this and how to make this materialize, you know, in a team environment, the more that we can learn from each other and do great things.
0: I agree. This has been great. Thanks again, Sarah.
1: Thanks, Darren.